0: Hey through Crosses family, Pastor AJ here. I pastor Life Groups and Discipleship. And today we are wrapping up our series called The Unlikely Hero. We've been looking at Saul's transformation into Paul. And today we wrap it up by looking at the letter to the Philippians. And so with that, let's go deeper. (laughs) Joining us to wrap up this series called The Unlikely Hero is Pastor Randy Odom. Pastor Randy, welcome to the podcast studio. Thanks, AJ. It's great to be here. I think this is the first time we've had a conversation in this setting, so I'm really excited. We got a load of questions as we look at Paul's letter to the Philippians, so I just want to dive right in with something that we've been doing over the past couple of episodes. Randy, I know, you know, it's hard to trace Paul's movements as he's going all over the place in the book of Acts, all over the place. And so to recap, I'm going to try my best to recap here. We meet Saul at the persecution of Stephen back in the heart of Jerusalem. Uh, He is the one that's overseeing it. He's got his arms crossed, approving it. And then the church begins to scatter. Uh, Then Saul chases down this persecuted church to Damascus And then his life gets turned upside down that we talked about. He sees the risen Jesus, settles a little bit in Damascus, travels to Arabia, returns to Damascus, then back to Jerusalem. Then we saw him go to Caesarea, then off to Tarsus, all over the place. Then in Acts 11, we talked about Barnabas and Saul going to a place called Antioch, which is where we saw this Galatians episode where Peter and Paul kind of go at it head to head. Acts 15, we talked about last week, we saw the Jerusalem council, and then Acts 16, he sets off again, and we saw him meet different people like Lydia, and he brings along Timothy, all these different people. Now, that brings us to Acts 16. I know there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. So, Pastor Randy, I know Saul goes everywhere, and I couldn't think of a better person to ask than a person as well that traveled the world, that went to different missionary spots. So, Pastor Randy, could you fill in the
1: blank, what is it, 12 chapters that we're missing here? I think one of the things that's most fascinating to me, AJ, as we kind of think about Paul's evangelistic journeys is to try to think about it through a first century lens or life experience. Um, You know, we as people in the 21st century, especially in the West, uh, we are travelers. And uh, it's not uncommon to meet someone who has been on the opposite side of the world. It's not, I have a friend who's in his 80s who has been to 85 countries in his lifetime. Um, That is a bit unusual, but it's not unusual to meet people who have traveled widely but that was definitely not the case in Paul's time. Um, transportation was non-existent unless it was on the back of an animal for the most part. Um, most travel or a lot of travel was done by on foot. So when you think of the extent of the, um, the Roman Empire, the, the Near East that Paul got to see and the way that he had to travel, that in and of itself is mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but and then to add to that, because people didn't travel for the most part, they had never experienced the way of life of others uh, than the way of life of their own people. So they would encounter vastly different cultures. They would encounter vastly different languages. Um, all of those things are were often first-time experiences for travelers. So even for Paul, um, I don't know, perhaps as a a person of more of the upper echelon of, of Hebrew society at that time, he might've had a little bit more experience, but not a lot of experience. And then you think about the people who traveled with him, especially those young people that he would have with him as his companions, their experience of going into a completely new culture, a completely new language, a completely new um, um, view of life um, just would have been mind-boggling and overwhelming to all of them. So for him to have done and his companions to have done all that they did just by virtue of their travel is astounding.
0: One of the passages I love that ended up on the cutting room floor as we were condensing it down to this Philippians passage was in Second Corinthians where it feels like the Corinthian church is trying to like boost up their resume saying, I did this, I did that. And Paul just goes in and says, look... I've been through some stuff and it says he's been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews, 40 lashes minus one, three times I was beaten. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea, constantly on the move in danger from rivers, It just keeps going on. It's one of my favorite passages because Paul is just unloading of his experience on this traveling road. And so we pick up the conversation where you, Pastor Andy, said in your sermon, he ends up in prison in Rome. And he writes in Philippians 1, 12 to 14, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me and that could include this prison scene and also just everything that's happened to him in the book of Acts, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear." you mentioned he takes this higher view saying like, yes, this might be the worst situation. This might have been really tough treading along this ax journey. But, you know, everything that has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. I find it interesting because this passage goes on to talk about uh, just the different state of the church. It says in verse 15, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. And so I'm, I'm trying to imagine Paul and the sentiment that he's feeling. And you know, if I'm Paul, I'm sitting in prison thinking, man, I really wanted to travel the world. I really wanted to get to Spain. I really wanted to keep going. This is so tragic that it's ending like this. Did it have to end like this? And not only that, but looking at the state of the church saying, now there's some like weird leaders in the church that seem like they're preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition. And man, this church that I had fought so hard to protect, like the unity of doctrine, the unity of peace, it seems like it could be unraveling. That's what I imagine Paul saying. But here's what he actually says. It says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So my question to you, Pastor Randy, I'm imagining there might be people out there that are looking at this current state of events, their current lives, and thinking, man, this mission that I have been working for my entire life might be coming to a conclusion or an end in a way that I just didn't imagine, hence the curveball analogy of your sermon, or this church that I had worked so hard to build is now in the hands of different people and it feels like it's not the direction that I would like to see it to go or some other thing that's going on. How do we take Paul's higher view when we're talking about these two aspects, this this life of ministry and the life of the church?
1: Wow. <laughs> the, the immediate response, AJ, that comes to my mind is simple and yet profound. And that is, we have to remember that Jesus said that he would build his church mm, amen. and that the gates of death would not prevail against it. So if we can keep in our minds that the church is not ours, even though we may invest so much of our life in the church, whether we are professional Christians, meaning you know we we work for a church, or if we are just Uh, and I don't mean just as though it's less than, only, I should say, we are only um, members of the church and contributing members. The church belongs to Jesus, and he will lead his church, he will grow his church, and he will guide his church through the whims of culture and the change um, that comes over time So if we can keep our grip on the church loose enough so that we are willing to allow the church to change um, in order to continue to have a message that is relevant to the current culture, then we will be in much less angst about things not being the way they used to be. Hmm. And I feel like this is especially hard for those of older generations mm-hmm. for whom the church today looks very different than it did um, decades, a few decades ago. Mm-hmm. So, but if we can keep in mind that, that the church belongs to him, and sometimes the church has to go through hardship in order for it to be refined. Sometimes there have to be some, you know, we, I've heard them called blessed subtractions, in the church, in order for the church to continue to be viable. Hmm. So we just have to kind of keep that flexible, um, open sort of hand that this is, though I, it means so much to me, it's not mine. Hmm. And ultimately, I have to surrender the direction and guidance of the church to the one who to whom it belongs, and that is the Lord Jesus.
0: This leads to the skeptic question that we traditionally do in the podcast. And um, I called it a skeptic question because I'm just not sure what the thought, I guess the prevailing thought is in our culture today. And it comes from a passage that you brought up that is just so powerful to me um, that I couldn't help but bring it up in the podcast. But anyway, it comes from Philippians 1 verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. It's kind of a scary question for me because right now I'm 30 years old, yet just this week, I was reminded that my great grandma passed away when she was 29. And so nobody really wants to talk about death. And yet death is at the doorstep of everybody, whether it's distant or really close. Nobody really knows. And so I'm trying to think of this through the skeptical lens. And i feel like there's not really anything to grab onto when it comes to death. You know, I think of maybe two extremes here. One saying, yeah, there's really nothing beyond death. So like live your best life now. And then the other extreme is saying like, actually, you really need to focus on what's ahead. And so you need to escape this life. Now, I'm thinking of all these policies that are coming around the corner saying like, it's actually okay to put somebody to death because there's like an ailment or something, or because they just don't want to live. And so looking forward to a better future, those two extremes, I would say. And so my question as the pastor of senior adults here, help us wrestle with how we should think about death responsibly and biblically
1: as you said aj none of us knows when death will visit us right we presume i think often in our younger years that it is you know in the distant future i think as you get older and you recognize that the years ahead of you are less than the years behind you, Hmm. you begin to take it a little bit more seriously that our life will come to an end. But because it could come to a very abrupt, unexpected end, Mm -hmm. we have to be aware and prepared. I mean, in the sense of not living in denial that it will never happen, but also not um, so preoccupied with it that we lose the ability to live because we are afraid of death or we are trying to avoid death so Mm -hmm. if we can take paul's words that to live is christ and to die is gain Mm -hmm. and we keep in mind you know from that philippians passage that he was in jail in rome at the time that he wrote that letter and he was on trial for his life, and he was facing what could have been imminent um, execution for his faith, we may not be in that sort of peril ourselves, but if we can keep in mind that the number of days that we have on earth are already known by God hmm. from beginning to end, um, and if we, so that we put our trust in God, we put our trust in Jesus fulfilling his mission in us, whether we live another 40 years or we die in four days, um, that God will accomplish what he has intended for our life in the time of life that is our span of life, then we can live in peace Hmm. in spite of the fact that death is approaching each and every day, each and every moment
0: yeah, I think that's why that one passage to me stands out because it it hits that tension of like living is Christ and dying is gain. And so like, it's taking the best of both worlds saying like this life really does matter and Christ died so that we might live today. But then also there's this gain that we have when we become fully united with Christ and, um, with him. And I think that's such a fascinating tension to wrestle with when it comes to the topic of death. Uh, But I know Paul wrestled with it, especially in prison. And uh, he begins to flip the narrative, as it were, um, on how he's lived. And I love, I I mentioned at at the outset, there's this second Corinthians passage where he just lists off all the different things that happens to him. But within that passage itself, it talks about just man, this is such a foolish endeavor. It's such a foolish endeavor to talk about the things that I've accomplished on earth. It's such a foolish, foolish, and that word foolish is all over that uh, verse, which brings us to the verse you read as we stood up all together in Philippians three, verses seven to 14, and I'll just read it so our audience can hear it. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so all over Paul's writing, as he sort of develops in life, he begins to see all these things that he gained as loss. And so obviously we represent different generations and I can empathize with that because people at my age are are, are trying to build a life. They're trying to build their achievement resume to hand out and say, look, this is why you should take me seriously. And yet I love this series because Paul comes to the end of his life and like looks back at all of those accomplishments and says, garbage, rubbish, like not knowing Christ is what matters. And so I wanted to throw the question to you. What would you say to somebody who's out there relying on these achievements, trying to make a name for themselves. And I'm imagining a younger generation, but I'm sure we're not immune to this, no matter how old we are. So what would you say in general to people that feel like they need to build this Christian resume? And how does Paul's language here address some of these things?
1: It's interesting that you bring this up, AJ, because I've been thinking about this not really as it relates to this passage or this message, but just in general. Mm -hmm. Um, Because next month I will celebrate my 66th birthday. Oh, wow. And the older you get, the more you realize how fast life passes. Hmm. Um, But what I've noticed is I won't say that I have no, but I will say I have far less ambition in my life now Than I have had in the past. And I don't know if that's because, you know, with the onset of age comes the, you know, the plausibility, the possibility of death. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel a lot more at peace (laughs) in terms of the way I live my life each day. I even think back to prior to going to Cambodia, which was in 2010. I was in my early 50s at that time, and so I still had a lot of ambition. It was reading the book, Finishing Strong, and you know those mm-hmm. kinds of books about midlife or retirement years and making the most of those years, um, having the biggest impact during those years. And I still felt that very strongly at that time. And it's not that I have an apathetic perspective on my life at this point, I feel that I can relax Hmm. in where I am. And even though I may not have achieved some of the things that I might've desired to achieve in my younger years, I am content with how God has led me up to this point and for the privilege of being a part of what he's doing in his church in the capacities that I have had Mm -hmm. up to now. And so I feel like if we can live our lives trusting that God will ultimately be the one who guides us to the place where we need to be and being satisfied with that place rather than always yearning for something more, Hmm. then we will be able to live our lives with a lot more peace, um, a lot less stress, And anxiety over things that we might not have the ability to control or to change. So, you know, they always say with age there comes wisdom. And I think to some extent that is true, simply by virtue of the experience of life, Mm -hmm. that you come to realize I'm in a very different place today than I thought I would be, you know, 30 years ago when I was your age. um, I never dreamed that I would do what I have done. Mm and yet because i have tried to follow the lord faithfully in my life i've i've made many mistakes and you know had many three steps forward two steps back kinds of experiences but i've tried to honor the lord with my life from the time i was your age mm-hmm. i can i can say that overall i'm satisfied with where i am today and i don't have anything to prove mm-hmm. so there's a real freedom and joy being in that spot and i don't think you have to wait 60 years to get to that spot when we realize that god is the one who has control over our lives we submitted ourselves to his lordship and that means we are his Mm. my life is not my own as paul says i belong to jesus and so now i can trust him to take me to the places that he wants me to be, and part of that will be redeeming mistakes um, over time, that he will eventually get me to the place where he wants to be, and he will complete the work that he has started in me. I have confidence in that, and so there's freedom that at the end of the day, I'm not the one that is ultimately responsible.
0: One of the things that I've thought about coming from my generation's standpoint is, the uniqueness of where we fall into the story of history, um, considering we have access to everything that's happening around the world. And so this satisfaction of where you are, I definitely think is something that uh, resonates in my soul and something that I'm looking for as well, because um, the culture is going to tell you that you have to have this or that amount of influence over hundreds of thousands of you know, subscribers, I guess. Uh, and so you create content that not only, uh, addresses local communities, but addresses the entire world and, um, how easily dissatisfied you can become with your life if you're not living up to that expectation. And yet, you know, a couple generations ago, we really only knew what happened in the local context. And the fact that you know, we've kind of lost that. We said, hey, in order to be successful, you have to have this global impact as opposed to this local impact. I think really stands out to me because uh, another passage that fell on the cutting room floor was what Paul did with his ministry. And what he did was he leaned into the local church context. Uh, saying, hey, it's all about these local places that are able to minister to people, to real-life people on the ground. And uh, we see that in the letter of Philippians. We see that all over the scripture of these these local situations going on and uh, Paul ministering to those local people. And one of the things he does is commissions this young man named Timothy. And so one of the verses that we didn't cover is 2 Timothy 4, Uh, And it lists all the things that he commissions Timothy to do, you know, in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all duties of your ministry. And the context of this passage is the famous one where people will not put up with sound doctrine. They'll suit their own desires. Uh, they'll hear a great number of teachers and they'll listen to what their itching ears want to hear. And so it's almost like this passing of the baton that is geared toward a local ministry. And so I'd be remiss since I know you have so much going on with a generation that's above me. Um, How do we do this well? Because I know this is something that our church has wrestled with a lot, trying to figure out, okay, how do we get these generations together? And then how do we have the older generation pass the ministry on to the younger generation? And then how does that younger generation then discharge all of the duties, according to 2 Timothy, of ministry to the next generation one of our pillars here at three crosses is we're all about this next generation to see the church continue to move. And so my question is simply, I guess, two sided here. One, how does the older generation participate in this and, uh, become really good at leaning into this next generation of ministry, but also how does my generation, this younger generation approach this older generation for the wisdom that is so readily available in your context
1: that's a great question that's a great topic um first i think i want to say i feel like three crosses we could definitely do better hmm. but i think we are doing a good job nice compared to other churches that i'm aware of right. um in trying to bridge the gaps between the generations and to to create a culture of acceptance on both sides. So I feel like we're doing you know quite a good job, but I want us to be better at that. And I, I pray that our church can be an example of how a multi-generational church can coexist in the same property and f- feel fully led and um, heard and fed. I think there has to be intentionality on both parts first of all and it's what i love about our church's history we have a history of passing the baton well Mm. and seeing the church continue to thrive um through the generations i think it's beautiful that we have a very multi-generational church it's challenging to meet the needs of a multi-generational church you know we have i work among the seniors um largely in my role here and you know they're like why do we need to have smoke and why do we need to have bright lights and right. you know all those things in our service and and i feel that god has given me a privilege to actually stand in the gap between our very young staff who you know i am completely behind pastor danny and you and all those in our younger staff mm-hmm. Um, but then also our senior adults, um, on the other side, I feel like I have a privilege to stand in that gap and cheer for the younger guys that have the pulse on the current culture. Um, you know, this very connected culture that you talked about earlier, our seniors don't have any clue what that means. You know, Mm. what it means to be a part of the, the Instagram, TikTok, Mm -hmm. you know, virtual world. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, not losing sight of those in our midst who come from the older crowd. So I think we are doing well, but we need to do better in creating space for everyone and creating intentional bridges. And we're trying to do that with opportunities for our ministries to connect with each other Mm -hmm. so that we have an exposure in our Young adults or um, young people's ministry of older folks and the other side as well. So that's why I have you and Lauren and Max and others from our younger staff coming in and teaching our generations and our legacy groups because mm-hmm. these are our seniors, and they need to be proud of you as their spiritual grandchildren. Mm-hmm. You know, it's as a result of their faithfulness and their support to this church that that you guys have been raised up in the way that you have, and so we want to celebrate that. And, and I also want our younger staff and, and younger constituency to remember that we have this, these amazing facilities that we have at Three Crosses to serve our community because of the sacrifice and service mm. of these older generations who have given us what we have, these tools that we have. So we just need to do more. And so I appreciate the opportunity to be a part of that.
0: Yeah, and one great way that uh, I took up and I would encourage all of you to take up, is to go and purchase the legacy book. um, That is it on Amazon? Is that correct? Yes. On Amazon. And it's got the stories of uh, the people that are in these senior adult ministries. And uh, it speaks volumes. It speaks volumes. They've laid out their lives so that we can read and learn from them. And uh, one of the things I think the book encourages is if there is a story in there that resonates with you, these are people that go to your church. And so reach out to them, uh, find them in the lobby, in the controlled chaos environment of the lobby, or uh, you know, reach out to one of us. We'll gladly get you connected with somebody that um, you feel like you resonate with. And uh, yeah, this is a great chance to be a bridge in that gap. Well, uh, we have come to the end of the unlikely hero series. And uh, as you mentioned, some people may have not known, but Paul, has this terrible end to his life, uh, beheaded. And I think it's around the time of Nero. Is that correct? And not only will Paul suffer this brutal end, but the church is going to go through this tremendous persecution that's about to happen. And so I love that context with the passages that you ended with, uh, like Romans 8, 28 in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Um, or Philippians one, uh, three to six. I thank my God. Every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, and so we have Paul saying he's striving forward, he's gonna run the race, he's gonna he's gonna finish it, keeping the faith uh, in store for the crown of righteousness that awaits him. And um, Pastor Randy, as you look from this beginning to the end of this series, uh, an entire lifetime documented from this guy who started off as Saul turned into Paul, what is one parting bit of wisdom that we can glean uh, as you look at his life from this, uh, you know, 30,000 foot perspective that
1: we did in this Unlikely Hero series? Um, AJ, I think there are a couple of verses from Philippians of all places (laughs) that can be a great sort of answer to that question and a conclusion of this podcast. where in chapter 2 of Philippians, in verses 12 and 13, Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose." If we can keep the perspective that we walk in unbroken fellowship with Jesus because of his grace and trust the fact that this is the work of God, it is not our work. It is God who is at work in us, both to will and to act for his good purpose. Then, as we journey through life, wherever life takes us and whatever curveballs might be thrown our way, we will see him fulfill his purpose for our life. He has, as you've just read, promised us that he will, con- he will finish the work that he has started in us. So if we have confidence in that and walk with him with our heads up following him, we will see him finish the work that he has in store for us. So, therein should be our ambition. Hmm. Our ambition should be to walk with him and allow him to fulfill his purpose in us throughout our lives.
0: I love that because some of you still may be confused about where this Paul is going, like we've been saying this whole time. But uh, it reminds me of a saying of just beyond all the complexity, keep it simple, (laughs) walk with God. That's what he's calling you to do. And so we hope that this podcast has helped you with that. Um, I know a lot of you have come up to me or one of the pastors and uh, said you are a listener. So listeners out there, we pray that this has been a helpful tool for you to continue to walk with God and grow in your relationship With God and with others here at Three Crosses. And so, Pastor Randy, I'm extremely grateful that you were able to sit down with me and uh, wrap this series up. So, with that, that is the unlikely hero. Pastor Randy, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me.